0: ونشهد ان سيدنا وسندنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا ومولانا محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فاعلم انه لا اله الا الله واستغفر لذنبك وللمؤمنين والمؤمنات والله يعلم متقلبكم ومثواكم وعن ابي بكر الصديق رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عليكم بلا إله إلا الله والاستغفار فأكثروا منهما فإن إبليس قال أهلكت الناس بالذنوب وأهلكوني بلا إله إلا الله والاستغفار أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام Sadaq Allah, Sadaq Allahu Mawlana Al Azim, wa Sadaq Rasuluhun Nabi Yul Habibul Karim wa Nahnu Allah Athani Kalamina Shahideen, wa Shakirin, wa Alhamdulillahi Honorable Ulama, respected Huffaz beloved brothers and elders, every single person goes through difficulty, loss, hardship in this world. One of the most difficult things to lose is someone who's beloved to you, someone close to you, a partner, be that a child, be that person, a parent, some family member. This is about the most difficult test a person can go through. Whilst you and I enjoy attachment to a lot of people in this world, And when they separate themselves from us, it's a difficult situation. Let us for a moment sit back and ponder. When Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum lost the Rasul of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what must have been their condition? Because when Sahaba radiallahu anhum spoke and they came before the Nabi of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, A statement often repeated and something that flowed off their tongues very, very often was Fadaka Abi wa ummi. May my parents be sacrificed for you, Ya Rasulullah. This was about the highest form of respect someone would show for someone, May my parents be sacrificed for you. This is what Sahama radiallahu anhum used to say so frequently. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam leaves the world. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu describes the moment and he says, there were many people, many of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, who were affected emotionally, who were affected deep down in their hearts and it was a type of, a certain level of confusion that enveloped everyone because of the difficulty that they went through. It wasn't something to just forget about so easily. So he says, once I was seated in Medina Munawwara, and Umar radiallahu anhu walked past. When he walked past, he made salam to me. Forget hearing his salam, I didn't even know he went past. Umar radiallahu anhu took exception. He's making salam, I'm within distance that I can hear him, but I didn't hear. He took exception to this and he went to Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was the khalifa of the time after Rasulullah s.a.w. passed away. And he complained. I made salam to my brother Uthman, but he didn't reply. Abu Bakr comes with Umar radiallahu anhuma, and they come to Uthman. At this time, he says, "Thumma akbala alayya fasallama alayya jamiaan." Both of them came to me, and they both made salam. There were two people. This time, I heard the salam, and I replied. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's first question was, "Ma hamalaka Allah Allah ala a'chiika Umar salamahu? Why didn't you return?" The salam of Umar radiallahu anhu, he kindly made salam to you, you didn't return, you didn't reply. Uthman radiallahu anhu says, Wallahi ma fa'al Allah's qasam, I didn't do anything like this. Umar radiallahu anhu said, you definitely did this. Few moments ago I went past, I made salam, you never reply. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, who's presiding over the case, he then comments and says, qad sadaqa uthman. Uthman radiallahu anhu is speaking the truth it seems that there has been something that had gripped your heart and overwhelmed your mind, some thought, because of which you were oblivious of your nature, you were oblivious of your surroundings, and you didn't hear the salam of your brother Umar. Uthman ﷺ says, definitely I was engaged in thought. There was a thought that gripped my mind, because of which I didn't even know he went past. Abu Bakr tells him, oh Uthman, share that thought with me. This must be some very deep thought, because of which you didn't even know he went past. So Uthman says, "This thought gripped my heart. Sallallahu <laughs> Alayhi Allah Taala had taken his Nabi Wasallam away from this world before." I had the opportunity of asking him one very pertinent question. What question? That when this ummah goes through difficulty, when people face problems on a day-to-day level, whether it's linked to their deen or whether it's linked to their dunya, what's the way out? What's the salvation? How do we come out of the problems we face all the time, I never get a chance to ask this question and this grief has overcome me. What did Abu Bakr tell him? He said, Oh Uthman, don't worry, qad sa'al tuhu anha. Allah blessed me with the tawfiq of asking this question. Allah afforded me the opportunity of asking Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam one simple solution which can sort out every problem any mu'min is going through. Abu Bakr Anhu is overjoyed. He stands up, he looks at Abu Bakr and he says, Bi abi anta wa may my mother, may my mother and father be sacrificed for you." Anta only a man of your caliber could have thought of this question and asked this question to Rasulullah before any one of us. Please tell me what was the answer, Abu Bakr says. I asked the Nabi of Allah, "What's the way out?" And the Rasul of Allah wasallam gave me a simple solution. A simple solution. That when you're going through any problem, any mu'min, from that time till the day of qiyamah, from the first person to the last person to come, any problem you're facing lies in one statement. And what did he say? Man minni aradtu ala najatun. That person who wholeheartedly, accepts that statement that I presented to my uncle Abu Talib. But Abu Talib rejected it. Anyone who wholeheartedly accepts that one statement, it will be a salvation, a solution, an escape from every problem imaginable. Every problem that will come on this earth, it will be a solution. What was that statement? La ilaha illallah. Muhammadur الله Rasulullah sallallahu الله صلى Anyone who accepts this one statement wholeheartedly, then this will be a means of his salvation. A thought may run through our minds that amongst the first kalimas or statements we ever learnt or we ever heard was this kalima. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. If we never recite this kalima, we probably would not have been here today for this Jumu'ah. We all are reciters of it. We're reciting it from the time we're young. So before we level questions and before we fire accusations, rather understand and sit back and think, if Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said it's gonna be a solution, then there's a meaning behind this. We can't just say, I read it, why am I still going through problems? There's more to this. And for the experts, the Muhadithen, the Mufassireen, the great learned scholars and ulama of the Ummah at what do they say regarding the meaning of this hadith? When we don't look at it in this way, then sometimes we may think we're doing something right, but that's not actually solving our problem; it's bringing more problems to us. On the lighter side, one person mentioned something so pertinent regarding this point that an old man went to the doctor for his routine checkup. He's to, to, to see with every order. He goes to the doctor and the doctor checks him up entirely and then he makes a comment to him and tells him, that my patient, your sugar is too high. The right thing for him to do was to ask the doctor, how to bring the sugar down. But what did he do when this man returned home? He applied his own mind. Because the doctor told him his sugar is too high, he went into his pantry and he removed the sugar from the upper shelf to the lower shelf, because the doctor said his sugar is too high. He tried to make his own explanation and made things worse for himself. So here also in deen, what we need to do is ask the experts. And what do they say? They tell us that this kalima is broken up or it comprises of two components. There are two parts here. La ilaha illallah and Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In other words, Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When you're going to go through a problem, all you're going to do is look deeply. What does Allah and His Rasul, sallallahu instruct me to do in this situation? What do they? What's their command? What's their instruction? Their injunction? From there, I can look forward and continue and find solution and salvation and a way out from whatever I'm going through. What does Quran, what does hadith say? If I have to pass away at this moment, what would Allah and His Rasul wasallam, what state would they be? Would they be happy in the place I am, the action I'm doing, the condition that I'm engaging in? Will Allah and His Rasul wasallam be happy? This is how we use it. In other words, like a person. He's got to travel from point A to point B. He needs to move from one place to another. In order for him to go successfully from one place to another, especially if he's in some place that he has no idea where, he may be in some jungle or some desert, he'll have a survival tool. That tool we'll call a compass. When he needs to know where he's going, he'll continuously look at that compass, in which direction is this compass taking him. The more he'll look at the compass, the more he'll find direction and solution in his life. This compass will guide him exactly. Like that, the compass of a mu'min. A mu'min's compass is his kalima, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The more he'll look at this compass, what does Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam command me, instruct me to do? He'll find guidance in every, in every situation of his life. To understand this, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, there's an incident recorded about him. Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu comments once he was seated with his students and what did he say? Laura, la, laura stukhlifa abu Bakrin ma'umid Had Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu not been made the Khalifa, Allah would have not been worshipped on this earth. He said the statements three times. His students said, hold on, this is a very big claim. So he says, let me explain to you how Allah saved the ummah through the intelligence, and through the mashwara, and the decision of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. He says, after Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa passed away, many people, the Arabs, around Medina Munawwara, they chose to renegade and become murtad, turn away. There were a few of them who engaged in this already. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he became the Khalifa, he gave instruction, that there was an army, that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa sallam, prepared and made the emir of that army, Usama bin Zayd radiallahu anhu. He tied the flag with his own Mubarak hands and he wanted this army to go out in the path of Allah towards the Romans. There were 3,000 sahaba radiallahu anhu in this army. So after Rasulullah sallallahu wa passed away, other sahaba came to Abu Bakr s.a.w. and mentioned that Madina Munawwara we in a very difficult and delicate situation. People are becoming murtad, Madina Munawara is at high risk rather than sending these 3,000 people out to fight the people, the Romans, keep them here to defend Medina. Because our women, our children, the city of Medina itself is at high risk right now. So rather delay this army, than rather than sending them out. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu heard the opinions of each person who came to him. He then asked them, are you all complete, are you all over? They say yes. And he said, that army that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam commanded and instructed to go out in the path of Allah, I can never keep that army behind. Why? It was the instruction of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that these people should go. Who am I to hold them back? Even if I know I'm the only man in Medina, I'll never keep that army behind. Even if I know that the predatory animals are gonna devour my body, I'll never hold back that army, I have to send them out. And he sends out that army, Allah protected Medina, those people who became murtad and renegade, they were looking and they saw the army leaving. They began commenting, there were those who became murtad and many more wanted to become, many tribes around. But then they said, okay, these, if these people were weak, they would have never sent an army out to fight the Romans, but let's see when this army returns, whether they return victorious or not. When this army of Osama bin Zayd returned victorious, they said, these people are a very powerful nation. It's no use we renegating and turning away from them. We rather join them. We rather be with them than turn against them. And all of them remained on the Islam. This is all as a, as a result of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu carrying out one instruction of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This teaches us the importance Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu, so to say, looked at his compass. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur rasulullah. What does Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam instruct me to do in this situation? Rather than doing what the crowd demands, rather than doing what people are suggesting to me, let me see what is the sunnat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Carry that out and Allah will sort out every other problem in our lives. A sahabi by the name of Julaib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi came to one Ansari and he told him, Zawijni bintaki. Hand over the rights of marriage of your daughter to me. He took it in this sense that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is asking him, please get me married to your daughter. If the Rasul of Allah makes this request, who would say no? So he said, Na'am wa karamatan. Of course Ya Rasulullah, why not? Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam explained, I'm not asking for myself, I'm asking for a man named Juleib. Juleybib was a person, they explained regarding him, كَانَ Man He was a man who was short, and he wasn't very handsome. People didn't look at him with a very favorable eye, he wasn't a very prominent man. So the moment this man heard, that the proposal is coming from Juleybib for his daughter, what did he say? Ushawiru Ummaha, Let me go home and make mashwara with her mother, make mashwara with the wife, and I'll come back to you. So he goes home, and he tells his wife that the Rasul of Allah told me, Zawijni bintaki, bintaka. Get me, allow me to marry your daughter. So the wife said, of course, why not? Then he said, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it's not for him, it's for Juleibib. So the wife now said, Anih, la wallahi la nuzawijuhu. We'll never ever get our daughter married to this man. Anyone else but Juleibib. The daughter overhears the conversation and she comes forward and says, Man khatabani ilaykum, please. Let me clear the A. Who sent the proposal? I don't want to know anything else. Don't worry, who's the boy? I want to know who sent the proposal. And they say, the Rasul of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She asked them, Hal ta ala Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Amrahu, do you all have the audacity, the guts to reject the offer of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? then she says idfauni ilayhi fa innahu la yudayani get me married to juleibib because if it's the suggestion of the rasul of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he'll never put me into problems when nabi ali sallallahu wasallam heard this girl's response what do what did he say allahumma subba alayha al-khaira, subba wa la tajal 'aysaha kaddan kadda the rasul of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam raises his hand oh allah good will come to everyone but oh Allah, when you make good come to this woman, let it rain down on her. Let it come down to her in large amounts. And oh Allah, let her not suffer any difficulty in her life and in her livelihood. Let things work out and be very smooth for her. This was the dua she got. People commented afterwards. She was amongst the most affluent, prominent and enviable woman of the Ansar. Juleib, what happened to him? In one battle, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa asked the Sahaba, Hal ahada? Do you find anyone missing from your companions? They said, La. Everyone seems to be here. Nabi alayhi wa looked, he scanned the crowd, and he said, and I don't see Juleibib. Where's Juleibib? You all are here, but where's Juleibib? So they went to look for him. They found him by seven kuffar. He killed them, and in the process he was also killed. Single handed, he wiped out seven kufar. Nabi sallallahu alayhi had then come and witnessed and he saw the scene. And then he said, three times Nabi Ali Sat said, This man killed seven kuffar single handedly. And in the in, in the interim, he also passed away, became a martyr. What did Nabi ﷺ say? إِنَّهُ مِنِّي وَأَنَا مِنْهُ He is part of me and I'm part of him. He is part of me and I'm part three times. Sahaba رضي الله then say, Nabi ﷺ put him in his own mubarak hands. And he was in Nabi ﷺ's mubarak hands حَتَّى خُفِّرَ لَهُ Until the qabr was dug. Sahaba radiallahu الله comment, if we ever envied anyone, if there was someone we envied and we looked at with an eye of envy, it was this man. Why? Malahu سرير إلا رسول الله, صلى الله عليه وسلم. There was no barrier for this man except the mubarak hands of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم. And then ثم وضعه في القبر. Nabi Sallallahu الله Wasallam put him in the qabr with his own mubarak hands. This man, outwardly, he had he had he was physically challenged. He was short in, in 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 as far as his height was concerned. His looks and his features was not so grand, not someone you'll stare at or you will look at again, but. His journey to the akhirat was more than remarkable. The last body that his body touched was the mubarak skin of Rasulullah sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Where did this come from? Where did that woman of the Ansar get that dua from? Where did Julebib get all this benefit from? Because of looking at his compass, what does Allah and his Rasul sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? They followed that and they moved straight. There are many other incidents. There is a quick incident to share with you regarding... Yes, the Jird, Yes, the Jird was the last emperor or the last king of Persia. He was going to difficulty, and what did he do? He wrote up to the emperor of China, requesting him for help. So the emperor of China said, "It doesn't make sense to me that you asking me for help. You Persians are so much more than the Arabs in number. How is it that you all are losing and they are winning? It must be a problem on your side." So, yes, the Jird, the the ambassador which he sent the the note with the letter with. Yeah, the ambassador told him, ask me anything you want to know about the Arabs, I'll give you the description. So he says, number one, tell me, Are you do they fulfill their promises? He says, of course. Leave alone amongst themselves, even if they make a promise to a kafir, they fulfill the promise. Number two, tell me, how do they engage with you in battle? He says, they give us one of three options. Either we become Muslims and we're part of them. We enjoy everything that they enjoy. Or number the second option is, we must pay the tax and we'll enjoy protection. The third option is, they ask Allah's help and they engage in battle. Then he tells him the third question, فَكَيْفَ طَاعَتُهُمْ أُمَرَاءَهُمْ What's their level of obedience to their elders and their seniors and their leaders? So he says, أَتْوَعُ قَوْمٍ لِمُرْشِدِهِمْ You can't find anyone more obedient to their elders than these people. Their obedience is proverbial. Then he asks him a unique question. He tells him, أَلَهُمْ do they have things that they regard as haram and things they regard as halal? So he says yes. And he gives them some examples. He gives, yes, the jird examples of what's halal in the Muslim community and what's haram. And he asks him, tell me regarding the halal and haram, do they ever regard what's halal as haram? oh, what's haram is halal. So he says, never. Haram is clear, cut haram, they don't go anywhere near it. Halal is clear, cut halal, they only engage in that. So then this man, this Persian king makes a statement and he says, إِنَّ il la na These people who have such sublime qualities, they'll never suffer defeat. Hatta halalahum you Until the time comes, that what's halal, they regard it to be haram, they regard it to be halal. Until they shift from their compass, no one's gonna destroy them. So then he says, let me give you an advice. If this is the description of these people, then it's no use fighting with them because leave alone China, leave alone Persia. If a group like this have to head towards a mountain, they'll raise a mountain to the ground. That's how strong these people are. It's not because of their strength. It's because of their values. It's because of how firm they hold on to their deen. So this is what's going to give them victory. We may not be fighting a battle against China or against Persia, but every day, there's a battle of halal and haram that we have to go through. And remember the power that Sahaba got in battle. They were so victorious that no one could stand in front of them for seconds. Anyone who walked in front, they just mowed over them. That victory came because of the victory they conquered in their day-to-day lives. So when we have halal and we have haram, we regard the halal to be halal and the haram to be haram, we don't mix things up. If we if we get caught up with something, we turn to Allah in tawbah and forgiveness. Allah forgive every one of us. But... We hold on to that and Allah will give us strength in every other aspect of our lives. One hadith we wish to end up with, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what did he say? He told us very clearly that remember our our enemy is Shaitan. Shaitan will attack you from every angle. And the way his weapon he uses, Ibni Ahlatun Nasa dulub. The weapon he uses is Gunah. He gets you involved in haram. He mixes up your halal. He mixes all this up. And he gets you involved in sin. This is his weapon, and this is how he brings him, brings you down. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Let me give you two weapons. These two weapons you'll use to fight the battle against Shaitan. And this weapon, you don't have to apply for a license and wait for months for that approval to come through. This weapon is in your hands already. What is that? Hold on to billah ilaha illallah wa istighfar. Hold on to La ilaha illallah, the kalima. And then hold on to istighfar, asking Allah for forgiveness. And this will break the backbone of shaitan. It'll break all his efforts. It'll make you victorious. This is something we can do all the time. Wherever we're going, we recite La ilaha illallah. We recite Astaghfirullah. We'd like to end up on one advice of Hazrat Rumi rahmatullahi alayhi. What does he say? We are people of the Kalima, that's why we're sitting here. Kalima is our be-all and our end-all. When a child is born, the first words we want him to hear is, Ashadu Allah illallah, wa ashhadu Anna Muhammadur Rasulullah. The last words we wish to be on our lips is, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. This is our symbol, the Kalima. So he describes, we are people of the Kalima, Muslims. And then you have the people of other ideologies, the West or whoever it may be. So Muhajjab din Rumi, Rahmatullah, draws a comparison and he says, if you are a Muslim, but you are still going behind these type of ways, then your comparison and your example is like a person who has a basket with hot, fresh bread on his head, yet he's going door to door begging for crumbs you've got hot fresh bread in your head, but you're going door to door begging for crumbs, we've got the solution. We've got the kalima, we've got istighfar. Hold on to these and Allah will make our life easy. How do we do this? We recite in abundance, and also we join the company of whoever we can. And primarily, we pass this message on to our children as well. How? We make sure our children come into the right environment of the madrasa. Sitting in the company of ulama, etc. And really then this kalima and the meaning of the kalima and this compass will become more vivid to us as well as them. May Allah, tibarak, Allah give us tawfiq to practice on these points and make the kalima firm in our lives.